0: This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018.
1: Welcome and welcome back to episode five,
0: episode five, season
1: two of Microscope. I'm your host,
0: Mike. I'm that other host, Kevin. <laughs> that other host, <laughs> Just the other one, you know, in smaller font.
1: So, what are we going to talk about today? Actually, before we get into what we're going to talk about, I want to apologize for how nasally I sound. Uh, I'm recovering from a cold. Or maybe I still have a cold.
0: Or maybe you're just getting started with a cold. Maybe. Oh, cold. that uh, really... That yeah. Would suck.
1: No, I, the past two days have been pretty bad. I think today's episode, Kevin and I are really excited about.
0: Yeah, it's this. a little bit of a curveball, a little bit out of the loop, but we... Fields very very important to talk about, and we kind of alluded to these things in previous podcasts when we talked about climate change legislation and uh, you know food security, food safety legislation. Uh, but today we wanted to have a episode specifically about
1: the- legislation.
0: Yeah, and the confluence of science and policy in that nature uh, from two kind of. Different perspective.
1: Totally different aspects, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think before we get into that, I want to tell all of our fans about the interaction I had at Whole Foods the other day. Yeah. So, a Whole Foods just opened up walking distance from Kevin and I. Like, mm-hmm. I refuse to go to Whole Foods. Like, I consider it a plague. I try not to go, but it's walking distance. Now like, it's I-
0: literally the only grocery store we can walk to. So our choice is now get in the car and drive somewhere or walk, but it's Whole Foods. It's yeah. a great two-sided. Not game. even walk like ten
1: minutes. Like walk like three. Yeah. Like exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was just thinking about going after this and realizing what would my logistical plan be for having a cart because I doubt they're gonna just let me take a cart from them. I'm probably gonna try that first just to see what they do because I like pushing the envelope like that. But oh,
1: like a cart, like steal one of their carts.
0: Well, not steal it. I would use it, you know, in the same sense that you use a reusable bag to go back and forth to that one establishment, more or less. I would essentially use it in that nature. That would get me going back there. So on their side, it would be a smart move. I don't <laughs> think they're going to make the smart move, though.
1: We'll see. Okay, so I was at this new Whole Foods that was like – it is super close to our place. And I needed garlic because I was making garlic and cavatelli and broccoli so good. And I go over and they only have organic garlic. And like I told you two episodes ago that I, like, refused to buy organic. So I pull one of the guys over and I was just like, hey, like, do you have any more garlic options? And he was just like, no, I think we only have these organic ones. Like, is, you know, what kind were you looking? And I looked him straight in the eyes. And I was just like... Not organic. <laughs> the guy was he like blinked a few times. It's just like, well, if there's anything else I can help you with, just let we me know.
0: Gave up right away. <laughs> I'm losing this battle. Oh man.
1: Yeah. So if you try to go to Whole Foods and get something not organic, you're you gonna it's gonna be time. hard. It's gonna be hard. Okay, so let's start today's episode. Kevin is going to take the side of when. Legislation really needs to use science, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take the side of when science really needs legislation.
0: And to be clear, they're not sides, they're more sides. different aspects of a similar continuum of considerations to make in both science and policy. Um, And just kind of highlighting how these two aspects of it interact. Yeah, so I wanted to look into something I found this week that got me, I'm not going to lie, super, super pissed off to the point where I felt very um, charged up about it and thought, hey, this would be a great thing to talk about on the podcast because it's egregious, it's crazy, and I can't believe this is real life. Um, But in a nutshell, it is going to be... A piece of legislation that has recently been introduced, which flies in the face of scientific and medical consensus. Um, Before I begin talking, I want to preface this with a few things. I want to put out a trigger warning that we will be discussing a piece of abortion legislation. So we will be using the term abortion and be talking about that. Another thing I want to disclose that I am in fact a straight white male and any uh, conflict of interest that may come about talking about female reproductive rights from me being that, I want to put that out in the open and I want to open up the conversation about that if need be in the comments section. Or shoot me an email. Me the, comment the comment section. We have a comment section, right? <laughs> I think we do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I just was look, looking at this uh, top 10 best co- or comments that are better than the actual videos. So I thought that was funny. Okay. So off topic. That's Go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I
0: just wanted to put those two things out there before we begin talking. But again, the focus of my <laughs> frustration with this, apart from all other opinions I may hold about it, is that how blatantly this piece of legislation flies in the face of science and medicine and, most importantly, the people practicing that medicine who went to school for 10 or 12 years, and then you tell them this shit and expect them to comply, and it's ridiculous. Anyway, so I found this article about um, legislation introduced in Ohio Uh, There was this uh, bill introduced regarding abortion and reproductive rights, um, referring to abortion and the way they phrase it in this piece of legislation is as aggravated abortion murder. Um, And I wanted to, uh, out of this is a very long document, and I just wanted to draw your attention to section 2904.35 and the wording on this is a little wonky, so I'll go pretty slow here. Um, This section states, a physician who does all of the following is not subject to criminal prosecution, damages in any civil action, or professional disciplinary action for a violation of this chapter, provided they do the following things. Those following things are, A, using reasonable medical judgment, believes it is highly probable that the pregnant woman will die from a certain fatal condition before her unborn child is viable, B, performs a surgery before the unborn child is viable for the sole purpose of treating the pregnant woman's fatal condition, or C, this is the one people are taking issue with, takes all possible steps to preserve the life of the unborn child while preserving the life of the woman. Such steps include, if applicable, attempting to re-implant an ectopic pregnancy into the woman's (laughs) uterus. Let me read that one more time and we'll unpack it. Attempting to re-implant an ectopic pregnancy into the woman's uterus. This is not funny, I shouldn't laugh about it. It is that ridiculous. So, let's back it up a little bit. I could just hear... No, I could just hear as
1: you were talking about it, your voice just got, like, louder and louder. Like, you're red right now. I wish you guys could see him. (laughs) He's, like, furious.
0: So, Mike, do we want to talk about... You weren't sure what an ectopic pregnancy was. Yes, I didn't know
1: what an ectopic pregnancy was. So,
0: let's go through that real quick. Um, again, uh... I guess I'm going to mansplain this because I don't know how else to do it, but uh, fellas, this is
1: a, explain uh, it like a scientist or right, like a doctor, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. It's only
0: mansplaining because I'm a guy talking about it. But here's fellas' quick refresher on the female reproductive anatomy, or We're even not, like um, those
1: who have never experienced an ectopic pregnancy.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, to go over that, we'll just draw an atlas of the female reproductive system, we have the ovaries wherein the eggs are stored, the ovaries are connected to the uterus through ducts referred to as the fallopian tubes, and then the uterus is the part of the female reproductive system where implantation of the egg and fertilization should occur in in an ideal situation, Um, and then uh, development of the embryo, so on and so forth until Okay, and until
1: birth. <laughs> <okay.
0: laughs> and ectopic pregnancy is a case where during menstruation, when the egg is moving from the ovary through the fallopian tube towards the uterus, um, in a case where something happens wherein the egg is fertilized, usually happening in the fallopian tube and then implants within the fallopian tube rather than implanting within the uterus. This is referred to. As an ectopic pregnancy, essentially you have a fertilized egg that is not in the uterus, still in the fallopian tube, not where it should be, not where it is going to be able to develop in the proper way. Question.
1: Can you have an ectopic? Like, so do ectopic pregnancies only consider implantation within the fallopian tube no. to be called that or like anywhere other than the uterus? Precisely. Because I'm pretty sure there's like... Within the ovaries, probably, there could right. be uh, yeah. fertilization. Yeah. So the, yeah. the
0: broad definition, that's the most common um, type, from my understanding, is in the fallopian tube. However, it could be anywhere that is not the right place, that being the uterus um, implantation and then, you know, clonal expansion development. <laughs> I
1: have like a thousand questions now. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you were a medical doctor. Are there certain times of the month or during... Egg maturation that ectopic pregnancies are more probable because I'm thinking no it leaves idea. the it leaves the ovary and it goes down the fallopian tube and if like sperm it, cells I, enter sperm cells <laughs> enter I there has there has to be like another term for that like fertilization I, yeah. attempt at fertilization I don't know I think
0: I have timing, no idea I don't either I have no idea about I, that. again it's because I'm not a medical doctor. Far, far from it. Anyway, in the event that the fertilized egg implants somewhere other than the uterus, um, the embryo begins growing and without having any medical knowledge, you can already see how bad that can be potentially fatal. That's what I want to stress so much and why I got so worked up about this is these ectopic pregnancies are potentially fatal if untreated or not treated in the proper way. Again, could be a result of women not having access to proper medical procedures because of shit like this. Not going to go off on my own thing here. Kevin is
1: but so red right now. I'm I love it. I
0: about this. Oh my god. Anyway, again, back to this piece of legislation, um, part C here. Attempting to re-implant the ectopic pregnancy into the woman's uterus. So now the way ectopic pregnancies are addressed, it's a surgical procedure. Um, Again, this is a potentially fatal condition and requires immediate surgical attention um, or else maybe fatal. And therefore, surgeons go in, remove the embryo and the uh, site where it was implanted and hope everything turns out okay, that nothing else has gone wrong and complications further in that. And now you, the legislator, want to tell that surgeon, now take that embryo that you have just removed from a potentially fatal situation and re-implant that into the uterus. The number one thing here is no such procedure for that currently exists. I want to read a quote from a doctor in Ohio. Um, Dr. David Happney on Twitter said, I don't believe I'm typing this again, but that's impossible. We will all be going to jail, he said, if this passes. That's from the mouth of a gynecologist in Ohio um, stating, no such procedure to comply with this law exists now. I don't think I have to say that that isn't how the law should work. Let's say we applied that, that line of thinking to Mike. Okay? Mike, if you can't figure out how to data mine these biosynthetic clusters for metagenomes, we are going to imprison you <laughs> <laughs> if you can't figure out your PhD project.
1: I should just be jailed, period.
0: (laughs) That's essentially what this is saying, and that is why I bring this up on our science podcast. Uh, This is an example of highly unscientific legislation, let alone all the other problems I hold with it personally. I want to focus on the unscientific nature of saying, hey, you need to try to do this thing, which is extremely dangerous, has no... Um, extant uh, practice for uh, figuring this out doing that and then you want to threaten people threaten these medical professionals who do not do that with imprisonment is essentially how the legislature reads to me at
1: least it's like uh, it really shows a lack of understanding of how basic things work within the body mm-hmm. you know it's uh,
0: yeah, especially by people who are supposed to have that expert knowledge to be making the rules about yeah, yeah. the human body. Yeah, I actually, like, sort of on that same track,
1: it's like, I feel like... So, I didn't go home for Thanksgiving this year. I stayed here. Well, you yeah. did too. Yeah. But, like, normally around, like, Thanksgiving time, all my family, we would all, like, argue about, like, oh... All these people with allergies and all these mental illnesses. This is new. We never had these. And it's just – it's it's so simple of a concept of like, you no, know, you had them. Everybody have them. Nothing's really changed that much. Just there were not terms for it and really the internet wasn't there to get that information out and across. Like mm-hmm. it's – and that's exactly what – these people go on the look at a picture. I while you were talking, mm-hmm. I wanted to find out like could the atopic pregnancy happen anywhere else within the reproductive organs of a female? And there's actually oh, I should have counted it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different places. And the most common is ampullary, which I think is in the fallopian tube, whatever that means. So off topic, but.
0: And just to wrap this up so I don't harp on it all night, I wanted to read off the names of the lawmakers who have sponsored this bill. Um, And more importantly, I want to invite them to reach out to us. We would love to make this a dialogue about, in particular, why this uh, piece of legislation in its current form is so heinous, so unscientific, and really a slap in the face to the medical community. Um, their names are Representative, these are all Ohio representatives. Representative Candace R. Keller, Ron Hood, Niraj J. Antani, John Becker, Tom Brinkman, John Cross, Bill Dean, Timothy Ginter, Chris Jordan, Daryl Kick, Susan Manchester, Riordan T. McLean, Derek Marin, Phil Palmer, Jenna Powell, Tracy Richardson, Craig S. Rydell, Mark J. Romanchuk, Todd Smith, Amy Nino-Vital, and Paul Zeltwanger. And to the listeners in Ohio, if one of these is your representative, please, please write them a letter um, saying how this makes you feel about them pretty much just flying in the face of what is true. And if any of them would like to come on and talk with us, we'd be more than happy to flesh things out. So with that... I rest my case. <laughs> no pun intended. Oh!
1: Wait, are they cases? I don't think I get it.
0: I mean, <laughs> case. See, this is why I'm not in law school either. Yeah. Great punch, but pun it's a document. It. It's got sections. It's like oh a wait, case.
1: no, I think you're right. I oh, think you're right. No. <laughs> so, so while Kevin was listing off all those names of uh, those legislators. I was cracking up. Some of those names are so
0: funny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I just thought it was the greatest thing. Okay. So, thank you, Kevin. So, that's exactly why, like, we really need scientists working very closely with legislators so we don't have crazy lives that could send, like, every surgeon to jail. Yeah. Like essentially, <laughs> exactly. like any surgeon who performs that surgery, uh, sounds like if they don't, they're screwed.
0: Yeah. Well, they it. if yeah. they do it, they're not applicable to the laws that yeah. they'll be So then to we're
1: them. just like killing off women who have ectopic pregnancies. We're not cuz we're yeah, not trying to kill people, that is kind but of like, Where
0: that would lead to essentially. Yeah, yeah.
1: like those are the two it could really go one of two ways. Either yeah. the surgeons don't do it and they go to jail or they do it and Serious medical conditions occur. And, right, or vice versa. Yeah. So, dangerous, dangerous. Yes. So, sort of switching gears where scientists, I want to talk about how, like, scientists sort of just thought it was the Wild West of they could do whatever they wanted without actually talking to politicians who are here for the people, who make laws to make people's lives easier. Easier and safer. Scientists just want to find the cure for everything because we're so amazing and we know everything. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, get it, uh, all right. So, I think we have all heard of the, or if you haven't heard of, you should Google this lady right away. Beautiful woman named Henrietta Locks. So, this is like a very big story, and I was like really obsessed with this. And I want to say while I was at Cornell, so it was like it was a good two years of where I was just like obsessed with her life. Okay, so Henrietta Locks Locks was a poor African-American tobacco farmer who was born in Virginia in 1920 and she died on October 4th in 1951 from cervical cancer without or so from cervical cancer she knew that she was feeling very ill you know and that's when they found out she had cancer so she went to john hopkins and that's where they took samples of her uh tumorous growth and without her knowing they took those cells brought them into the nearby lab And it was around the time where they were still trying to like get human cells that they could like study, Mm -hmm. so they were really just trying to culture or like grow cells in lab
0: outside of the body,
1: outside of the body, or outside Mm -hmm. of like uh, yeah. So they unknowingly, she did unknowingly, she did not know that's like the same thing. Okay, so they took cells from her tumor's growth and grew those separately, without her knowing. And those have been used for medical research since that time, and they're actually the first cell line that has ever been considered immortal. And like her cells are still growing today in probably a hundred labs here at ASU. Yes, a hundred alone here in BioDesign, hundred labs. Yeah, give or take,
0: if there are that many. <laughs> Relatively. If there's that yes, way, yeah. if, if they're studying cancer or studying any kind of human disease in a cell culture um, model, chances are either they're using these, this cell line or a cell line derived from this cell line and so on. That's how monumental um, the contribution of Henrietta Lacks has been to medical science, to understanding how cancer works... And to the, the most basic component of all that is being able to maintain human cells in a dish, in a Petri dish, in a laboratory environment. And with her um, cells from her cancerous tumor growth were the very first time in human history that was ever done. Yeah. That and is the significance of her contribution.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, like just to list off some things that like they've done. Um our cells have gone to space. They've been used in numerous amount of uh, vaccine developments. They determined that Salmonella was the cause of infection. Uh, they have been used in almost every cancer drug trial or not trial, but like experimental tests. Um, if you if you google, Hela cells—you're almost always going to get just a beautiful image from some microscope that somebody took, and it's great. Um, but I want to talk about why her cells were so easily grown in culture compared to other people's, and it has to do with the mutation her cells had. So, one big—this is—we're kind of like jumping from what I wanted to talk about, but I think there's a big. Misconception about cancer in that if you have lung cancer, your lung cancer and my lung cancer are the same thing. They are not. They are not. Something happens in your cells where a mutation causes your cells to just replicate over and over and over again. Uncontrollably. Uncontrollably, exactly. And the mutation in Henrietta Lox's cells actually allowed her cells to bypass this, what is called the Hayflick limit. And Hayflick is so every cell in the human body can only divide a certain number of times, okay? And that is, it has to do with we think it has to do with the length of the telomeres, but because heLa cells can replicate, we don't really know. Maybe I just don't know it myself. Would love to hear people, uh, give their insight if they know in the comment section. Please, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Uh, so yeah her, her the special thing about her cells is that they can exceed this hayflick limit it's almost like you're playing Final Fantasy and you get that like break damage limit okay sorry Bro. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice reference plug okay so yes they took her cells they've done wonderful things awesome and if this is a plug for the book that got me really in, into it um, and I want to recognize this author, Rebecca Skloot, and she wrote, like, the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Locks. If you have a chance to read it, read it. You could watch the HBO special with, like, Oprah.
0: made a
1: special? Yeah, like, Oprah's in it, I think, or Beyonce. It's not Beyonce. I just needed to say her name. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, no, Oprah's in it, and it's a really good book. I've, I've read it, like, twice myself. It's totally worth it. But the story is so... The way Sklut like, talks about this story, like, it's very much of her journey as she explored the life of Henrietta and sort of, like, the idea and birth of bioethics in general. And, like, all the different legal battles that, like, the Locks family has gone through to sort of, like, understand what her cells are being used for. Because, like, Henrietta Lox's family aren't scientists in and of their respect. You know, they're just, like, not normal people, but, like, lay people. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, scientists are scientists and there's, like, lay people, people who don't, that's not their expertise. So they, it's hard for them to comprehend what her cells are doing and, like, how they were able to get all this uh, stuff from it. But, yeah, it's an exceptional book if you have a chance to read it. Read it. Rebecca, (laughs) if you want to, you know, reach out to to us and we can interview you, I would probably scurry around like a little giddy girl. And that would be awesome. That would make my week. Okay. So back to this idea. So the key concept in here where scientists were just taking samples from patients. Like – it wasn't just Henrietta's samples that they were taking and trying to grow. It was every African American that came into John Hopkins. And that was like one particular thing I remember um, from the book is oh, wait, I'm over exaggerating. Not every single one of them, but ones that came in and met with a specific doctor who was trying that. So he would just sample patients and then send it to his lab and they would try and grow it. And so it was like a very widespread, just like, we're sampling your body and going to just see what we could do with it. Mm-hmm.
0: The main thing here, right, is that was without informed consent.
1: That was without informed consent. Exactly. There was no consent. There was no idea what that these samples were going for anything other than confirming or not confirming her diagnosis and or even helping her. Because mm-hmm. in reality, they never helped her. She died before they could help her, which was unfortunate. So, yes, it brings up this idea, or thank you, Kevin, for bringing up this idea of informed consent. And this is the concept or framework that you, if you're using, and like I read this quote from some guy at Harvard. He called them scraps. If, they're, if a PI or a doctor is going to use the scraps from your body mm-hmm. to... um to perform experiments on, you should be informed of that. And you should understand what that means for you as well as for your privacy, essentially. Like, especially in the age of DNA and sequencing, like, people should know what their DNA can be used for. And I'm very close to this because when I first graduated college, the first thing I did was go into clinical trials. And what I did day... Okay, it was probably like... After a month of being there, but like I would go into a room with a cancer patient and I would try and, or not try, I would provide them an informed consent. And we would talk about like, we're going to take, you know, two extra vials of blood from you every time you come in. We're going to send these for uh, biobanking and these can and may be used, right? Keyword may be used by scientists in the future to research on. And one big thing that patients constantly would ask me is just like, okay, fine, but if you sequence my DNA, can my insurance company get this information? I feel like I could confidently say no because that patient confidentiality mm-hmm. is very strict. Like even if a scientist is to get... uh like demographic information on you, they will never get your name. And you. there's not like a database of our DNA out there with your name linked to it. So I think where we are now, no, you're fine. That's not something you have to worry about. In the, the future, who knows? Yes, yes. Is in the
0: past, where by these mistakes like the scientific community made in the way they handled, for instance, um, Ms. Locke's... Um, Tissue and information stored therein and everything that came out of that, that has kind of been a learning process to get to the point where we're at now where if you go into one of these clinics, you can be um, adequately informed that your privacy will be maintained.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think this is very much where science needed policy to be put in place. So this was put together by the FDA, I believe… Um, where they put in these laws that said, like, if you are going to conduct a trial or any study with humans, you need to include this informed consent. And I, I keep saying the term informed consent, but what this, you know, is more defined as, it's an outline of what the study is and how the patient's information will be used. And it's sort of a place for... The patient to reference what is required of them, so it's a place you know for them to just understand who, what, when, where, and why you're going to take my scraps, right? Um, I like calling them scraps. By the way, mm-hmm. a lot of people say samples are just like pieces or I don't I, vials of yeah. blood was something, yeah, but like
0: if they're taking it from you, it's not necessary for your survival or even your health.
1: Well, it's scraps. What do you normally do with scraps? Either throw it in the trash or give it to the dog. Yeah. Or if it's like really crispy, you eat it because that's the best part. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanksgiving, on the like.
1: Uh, I had such a good Thanksgiving. Okay, off topic. So, as you all know, we like to close each episode with what you can do at home. And I think because of how dichotomous are. Nice. Good word. Ah, oh, give me my PhD already. Yeah. <laughs> um, because of you know each side that we took, I think we have two different things that you could do at home.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, from my end, right, we talked about how crucial it is to have scientific consensus play a central role in policy making. And this goes well beyond the uh, topic that we discussed today, Uh, but my take home message for this week is going to be no matter what policy is up for debate or on the floor in your local legislature, please, please reach out to your local representatives and let them know how important it is to you that they truly embody the scientific consensus in their lawmaking, in their policy policy. Uh, formulation that it is extremely important that they be informed and knowledgeable when they are drawing up legislation about a given topic to know um, who the experts are to talk to and what their expert opinion and consensus is on any given topic and they're usually pretty happy to hear from you they love hearing from their constituents especially yeah, yeah. Um, if you vote for them
1: exactly have you ever called? I actually
0: went to the state legislature last year with a bunch of other people, um, a bunch of other PhD students. um, And we talked with a bunch of them. They were really receptive to us. We got to sit in on a session of the, the House, the Arizona State House of Representatives. Okay. And watched how they go through, kind of commenting on bills they've read. Um, but yeah they were very very receptive to getting our information and reaching out to us when they needed that kind of input on a yeah. given piece yeah i
1: think in almost every state i've lived in I've, I've called legislators maybe except for Massachusetts i didn't live there long enough to give it a, give it up the <laughs> Yeah,
0: or get registered to call well
1: you could still call yeah you know um, okay. And then my piece of advice or like what you should do at home is far more morbid. Like, <laughs> it's just so sad. But if if you, you've been diagnosed with an illness of some sort, um, talk to your doctor about are there any clinical trials that you can join? Right? Like, one thing that really bothers me is when people talk about how we have not made the cure for cancer. We have not made the cure for this. We ha- There are things in the pipelines but we just don't get enough people to sign up for these trials so that we can test and determine, one, if they work, two, if they're better than what's on the market, and three, if they're safe. So without these people who like are willing to... I hate using the word be used as a guinea pig. I like to think of it more as, like, you're benefiting society, in a way. Um, So, yes, if you have the opportunity, please sign up for a clinical trial. I've done one myself. Um, Some of them you get paid for. I got paid for mine. It wasn't much, but, like, I felt like what I was doing was super not invasive. It was, like, easy. Um, And I felt like what I did was a good, good thing. And there's tons, like... You you could drink alcohol for like a week And that's like a clinical trial Mine was more of like uh, taking this Like uh, prophylactic Or not prophylactic Prophylactic uh, Medication to prevent like viral infection hmm. So yeah Cool Kevin I think we're done for today I
0: think uh, I had a lot of fun I hope you did too I did Thanks too. for joining us everybody Is it time
1: for me to take my medication It's not Damn
0: your take your We'll talk to you next time. Everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Microscope, brought to you by WISP. To learn more, join us on the web at wispmediacom microscope. M I K R O S C O P E. We'll see you next time.